So the ability to be calm, the ability to reflect, the ability to build that into my life every day, where I'm not kind of a gerbil on the wheel, which is constantly running, the ability to get off that, off that, you know, that cycle and uh, pause, reflect, you know, understand, build back my strength, my my vision. Um, I think that's been an important part of my own personal growth. That part of it didn't take place until, you know, probably just maybe four or five years ago, I think, when I, when I began to think more about, you know, in a broader sense, a deeper sense, purpose and, and, and service to others. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world because of each and every single one of you. Thank you so much for taking out time out of your day, out of your evening to be here, to learn and grow and advance your thinking. And like you know, every week I try and find guests that I believe are going to ask us thought-provoking questions, give us deeper insights to ourselves, and give us so much experience and abundance and wealth of insight to learn from so that we can learn from their lives, their mistakes, their failures, their successes, and most of all, their wisdom. And today's guest is someone that I've been really blown away by. I've met him for the first time this week but he just has this natural humility, his natural grace. He's extremely kind-hearted. And it really blows me away when extremely successful individuals are so deeply, genuinely grounded and wanting to do incredible things for the world. So as you know, this week, I've been with the Arthur Blank Family Foundation. We've been at the West Creek Ranch here in Montana, and we've been discussing the state of well-being in America. And the person who has put this on is Arthur Blank himself, who is the best known as the co-founder of The Home Depot and was named by Forbes as one of the world's 100 greatest living business minds and sports business journals, most 50 influential people in sports for the past three years. His business portfolio currently includes the NFL's Atlanta Falcons, MLS Atlanta United, the Retail PGA Tour Superstore, the Arthur M. Blank Family Foundation, and many, many more ventures. Arthur, I'm so grateful, honored, and humbled that you're doing this. Thank you for being here. Well, it's um, it's it's great to be with you. As I said to you the other night, I mean, you're the last person I see when I go to bed, uh, and um, it's always um, very uh, warming to hear your counsel and your wisdom. So, thank you for sharing that with all of us. Uh, I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. I was so touched to hear that you'd been watching my videos without me even knowing. I, I have been. I and I <laughs> I love them all. Um, the the great stories and. Kind of like you said the other day, we're talking about uh, Albert Einstein, how the ability to take something that's very complex and has a lot of sides and edges to it and make it to where it's digestible and understandable by, um, you know, by the majority of people. And uh, I think that's a, that's a powerful asset that you have. Um, and uh, one that I, you know, that I try to remember as well, to try to make things a little bit easier for people to understand and therefore, you know, get, you know, get through with the points you're trying to make. You do it well. Very well. Thank you so much. That means so much to me coming from you. And we're so happy and grateful to be in this incredible ranch this week. Uh, your space here in Montana, we have this incredible view. And even more amazing is the people that you've gathered and your team has gathered for this such an important conversation and cause. Could you tell us about where this idea for this week came for you and what the purpose was from your perspective? Well, I think it, it was it was you were born out of a lot of years of my my journey in terms of wellness and well-being, and and I was a very competitive runner for many years of my life, and and that you know that was great, but you know we transitioned out of that, and I do a variety of other things to keep myself physically and mentally in, in shape now, but um, you know we're living uh, in very troubled times, and. Um, uh, and I'm talking about really on a global basis, uh, nationally as well as globally. And despite um, our GDP, which you know we discussed the other day, is not being the real measure of happiness in a, in a country, um, despite the growth of that, um, we've got a lot of a lot of issues that young people and older people are all struggling with. The fact that you met Laurie Santos from Yale University in a quarter of, quarter of the student body of Yale, 318 years old, has has now taken was taking this course every year on how to how to deal with you know positive growth, how to deal with the stress in your life, et cetera. Um, at Harvard, they have over a thousand students every semester do a similar. So the, the the reality is, it's not only with folks my age that are, you know, why is the suicide rate double since in 1996, or 30 percent, I should say, um, but the young people today, thank heavens, 
are questioning themselves. You know, what is my purpose? Uh, what's my purpose myself? What's my purpose in serving humanity? What's my purpose in what I'm doing? How do I connect all these dots in my life journey together? And so I, I think the, the idea was to bring together, uh, you know, the, the best, the brightest, and the smartest. We have them all uh, starting with you uh, and many others that have incredible uh, backgrounds and histories and bring such knowledge and wisdom uh, to the room and the idea was to bring together for us as a funder and other funders as well, are there ways that we can help um, move the ball down the field to use you know, either of my football teams, American <laughs> football, soccer as an analogy, but is there ways that we can put our shuttle to the wheel and do more than what is currently being done? Is there ways we can assist? Um, and we do that within our own businesses, and we can talk about that later if you'd like. But, um, but beyond that, you know, what's the scale? What's the impact? We've talked about that. Lord knows that if we make a difference in one person's life, that's a huge journey by itself. But reality is that these issues are of such scale, not only nationally, but internationally, as we've heard from uh, Dan Butner, Blue Zones, and, uh, you know, and... Um, uh, and Lido? Yeah, uh, Bob Walding, uh, Bob oh, yeah. I'm sorry, yes. and Bob Walding from Harvard. I mean, these issues are being questioned, you know, throughout the world. So they're... they're um, they're big time concerns that we have to face. Yeah, absolutely. And when I first received the invite and saw what the conversation was, I was just so happy and in awe that this was taking place. Yeah. I just thought, wow, there's someone out there who is so deeply invested and seems so genuinely caring about what the challenges of the world are. And then when I looked at the list of people coming, I was just like, wow, this is gonna be so exciting for yeah, me because right. I'll have my notebook out right. and I've learned so much this week. Yeah. So thank you again. And I want to help my audience understand your backstory because I think that's what really shows where people's purpose comes from. Right. It's very easy to look at you. We're sitting in this beautiful Set, West right? Creek yeah. Ranch today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, this yeah. beautiful property here, but you actually grew up in a one bedroom apartment in Queens. Right. right. And you didn't move out until you went to college and didn't live in a home till age 32. Right, that's correct, yeah. And so tell us yeah. about how formative that experience was and how, what you yeah. learned from well, that. Well, I think, I think it was very important uh, in my own life. Um, my father was a pharmacist, but I, I lost him when I was uh, uh, 15. He was 44 at the time, very young age. Uh, my mother was 37. She took over my dad's business and ran it. But, you know, we always, uh, we always, we didn't have very much. I mean, as I said, it was a one-bedroom apartment shared by all four of us. We had a single bathroom. I mean, we were living in a very, very modest way. And, um, but the one thing I remember clearly about my mother is that she, it was never about money. It was always about making a difference and trying to uh, give back and trying to be involved in the community, et cetera. I mean, I wear this bracelet that she, that I, that I had made from our book. It, it, it's inscribed. You can't see it on here, but I wear one every day. It matches the color of what I'm wearing. I try <laughs> to match. But it says, you, you, uh, you only pass through once, make a difference. So, and that was the title of the book that she wrote. So I think that that became ingrained in me, the notion of trying to make a difference, giving back, being connected to others in the community uh, and what have you. And we were not in a position to write checks then, but you know, writing checks is great, but doing the work itself and getting connected to the individuals that, that you're trying to serve um, is, is really the most rewarding part of philanthropy in my, in my view. It makes it all come to life, makes it all real, gives it more purpose than just sitting and writing checks. Checks are important. Resources are important to make things happen and bring scale. But I think it's, uh, it's important to have that background. That, I would say, part of it and my faith. Uh, I'm Jewish and, uh, you know, one of the expressions in uh, Judaism is tikkun uh, olam, which means to repair the world. Uh, or sadaka, I mean, giving and, and, and participating. Uh, so those were ingrained in me, even though when I went to the services, um, you know, you don't think you absorb all that. You know, you obviously did, became a monk at 18, but, but you know, a lot of um, the, 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 you know, con congregational meetings I went to, et cetera, I wasn't sure exactly what, but I was absorbing more so than I even really thought. So I think those things are very important in terms of my childhood. Yeah, that's incredible. And like, regardless yeah. of how little you had, yep. your mom was, your mother was always trying to find time and energy to give right, to right. the community right. in different ways. Right. I think those are really powerful yeah. messages. Yeah, and I think when I bought my first home, it was, you know, $32,000. I was 30, 32 years old. I remember telling my wife then, I said, look, I'm not gonna embarrass us. I'll pay off the mortgage. I mean, I'll keep us current. Don't worry about that. I'll pay the bills. 
but we're never gonna pay this mortgage off completely. I just, you know, there's no way, you know, so obviously that part of my life has changed, but remembering that and remembering that experience and what it meant to not have the kind of financial success that we have today, uh, going back to those days, I think was a very important part of my own molding, if you will. Absolutely. I, I think perspective is so important. I remember when I was nine years old, I visited India for the first time and my father took me to the home that he grew up in. Mm. And he grew up in an area where they shared a bathroom with 30 other families. Yeah. His home was as big as this room yeah. and that had seven people living yeah. in wow. yeah. this much space. Mm. And when I went outside, there were like bats and cockroaches and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. And I was just yeah. like, I couldn't believe that that's where my dad grew up. Yeah. And compared to, you know, we didn't grow up in a huge house in England, right. but compared to his home, right. yeah. our home was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, it was so important, I feel at nine years old to see that. Right. Because it start made it started making me feel grateful for what I did have rather than right. being ungrateful for what I didn't yeah, have. Yeah, and I think, you know, just as your, your journey brought you at some point at age 18, I think it was when you decided to, um, you know, go on the journey of becoming a monk, you know, you're affected by your background, your history, uh, all the connecting points in your life. And sometimes they don't all seem to add up right at the moment, but there's a big puzzle going on in your head and in your heart and in your spirit that actually brings those things together. And it's, you know, that moment of saying, aha, this is my purpose. This is really what I want to do. I feel at peace with this. I want to, you know, I want to go as far as I can down this road take others with me, travel with others, et cetera. So I think it's been beautiful from my standpoint. Yeah, and tell us how then five years later at 37, you go from feeling tired of working at a regional hardware store yeah. to then going on to build <laughs> well, the biggest. What does that process of thinking about it, making it happen, yeah. pushing forward look like? Well, it was, it wasn't, we really weren't tired of, of doing it. It was a company that was called Handy Down Home Improvement Centers, which was then the most successful home improvement center company chain in the United States, but it was, it was owned by a larger company that was in financial difficulty. So when Bernie and I, my partner who co-founded Home Depot, um, we, uh, we got fired actually. So it wasn't like, well, let's, you know, it was a lot of political reasons and that's a whole nother story. But uh, beyond that, it was our chance really to live our lives over again uh, from a business standpoint. And although those stores were the best run in the United States, we felt if we ever had to compete with a large, no frills, down market warehouse store, we really couldn't, couldn't do it. So we said, if we couldn't do that, and we were running the best company in that uh, sector at that time, let's try to develop that and go with that. And that, that was the birth of Home Depot and started in 78, first stores were in 79. Uh, it's a long story. When I left 23 years later, it was the second largest retail in the world, second only to Walmart, uh, which is a great company. And they have one of their senior executives here this week as well and trying to understand well-being and wellness and how that relates to the, the, the um, associates that they have. And, uh, I don't even know what their number is today. It's probably about a million and a half, maybe more than that. It's mind boggling. What I'm really interested in, Arthur, is that what gave you the courage yeah. and risk-taking after being yeah. fired at the age of 37 to do that? Because I think today, and it's interesting because I was sitting yesterday at a table with Laurie, with Robert, yeah. and we were discussing this. And what they were sharing with me is that so many students today at some of the best institutions in the world right. and all institutions in the world right. are so scared of doing anything that isn't the path. And what I mean by the path is they believe that they go to Yale or Harvard, right. they continue and they have to get a job in what they're studying yeah. right now and that they have to live that very narrow line. Yeah. And they said in their words, they said they know some of their students are doing things they hate just because it's the path. Yeah. Where did you feel the confidence and the risk-taking approach to try something new? And how can our audience and listeners today yeah. feel that they're not old? Because today people think they're old at 25. Uh -huh. And we oh, think we're old Lord, at 28 to yeah, try something gosh, new. Yeah. I got married at 23 the first time. And I uh, said, oh God, this is 23 years old. I need to get married today. The kids are getting married much later. But in any event, uh, I think in my own case, uh, probably came from the experience that my... Um, uh, that my father passing away at an early age and being an entrepreneur, he was, he was um, uh, working as a pharmacist. He left several years before he, he passed away, started his own uh, wholesale drug company across America, drugstores, hospitals, nursing homes, et cetera. And then when he passed away, my mother took that business over. So I had all these role models in my family of, you know, not giving up, of trying, trying something new, extending yourself, you know, going on that, uh, on that journey. 
I've been connected with Outward Bound for probably 40 years now, and their slogan is to serve, to strive, and not to yield. And so I very much believe in that, and uh, the notion that we all can do more than what we thought we're capable of doing. Uh, and it doesn't mean you do it without, you know, uh, you know, safety nets around you, but uh, but you can do more than what you thought. So I would encourage, and I do encourage people to, uh, as, as Dr. Dwyer uh, would say, uh, to find the music within you and um, make sure it gets played. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of us have to find that, you know, that music, if you will, that passion, that that, that point of physical, mental, spiritual connection that makes us feel we're, you know, we're not getting up to work today. We're getting up to to uh, have, not have fun, but to do God's work, do our work, uh, do work with purpose, uh, service to others, et cetera. So I think, um, you know, you try to find, and I encourage young people today to try to find, um, don't worry about making money. If you're good at what you're doing, you're gonna be fine. Uh, and money really is really not the main attribute to happiness as, as you well know. But I think doing what, what you find a passion for, serving others in some capacity, um, and being part of the greater community, not just of your family, which is obviously critical, but of humanity, uh, you know, brings you the joy and peace. And I think if you can find a business uh, that in one form or another provides that service, I think you, you, um, you create a company, expression I use to our managers that you want our associates to feel this company is really worthy of your life. Um, I don't mean that in disrespect to religion or whatever else it may be, but they're giving you 8, 10, 12 hours a day, whatever it may be, but you want them to come to work and not have to think of it as work. Think of it as, you know, this is part of my mission. I, I love the values of this organization. I believe in them. I want to stand for them. I want to participate in them. I want to help articulate them. I want to help share them with others as they join our businesses. Um, and uh, I think that that passion, I think, and that commitment is what will bring... Um, bring a greater sense of joy. And hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled really with, um, you know, Bob Walding and here and Lori Santos here as best examples and many other universities, but this tremendous thirst that our young people have who you know, at the end of the day really are our future. Um, the young people have to find a greater purpose, find themselves uh, personally, and then find a greater connection to others in their community and humanity is uh, is something that I applaud. And that's why your work is so important because, you know, you're part of, you know, the voices that young people, are. everybody's listening to. I'm 76, so I'm not young, but but I mean, but everybody is listening to today and trying to get uh, some uh, better guidance, broader guidance, uh, more spiritual guidance, uh, connecting guidance to everything inside of themselves than they would have had otherwise. So, you know, I'm very optimistic about, you know, the direction that we're going in, but it's not going to happen by itself. It's not going to change by itself. We need people like yourself, Jay, and all the people in the other other rooms uh, that are doing incredible work and uh, making sure that those messages get expanded and we're touching more and more people and uh, find ways to bring uh, bring that message of scale. I think it's one that that uh, people, um, you know, when somebody has that feeling that I'm not really, I mean, this is this is purpose to me, uh, and the, the, in the true sense, of the word what I'm doing every day has purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And when I hear you speak from the first day when you led the introduction to even now, the words like purpose and values yeah. and spirit, they're so deeply yeah. embedded in who you are. And, and one of the things I loved, and we'll try and get a slide to put it onto the video version, but when you first started speaking, you showed us the two value diagrams that right. you have. Mm -hmm. And one thing I loved is that there was an upside down pyramid. Right. And on the upside down pyramid, the person I, at the bottom of the pyramid was, was Arthur. It was me. Right. And, and I loved that. Because, right. And at the top was customers. Right. And then you had the other circular one with innovation right. and all right. these other aspects of right. values. I'd love for you to talk through some of those. Sure. Because I believe that we hear a lot of people say this stuff. Right, I know. And and you've probably heard it more than I have, mm -hmm. but from spending a bit of time with you and, and seeing the success of what you've done, it seems like you've actually been able to, to really do it. Please share with us some of those values and how you constructed them specifically and, and where that upside down pyramid and you at the bottom idea came from. So I, I think, Jay, all of our businesses, um, regardless of their... Um, exactly what they're doing, you described them all well earlier, all at incredibly high 
very high success uh, uh, portfolio and results, um, they're all based on the same set of values. And the same set of values is a wheel of six, if you will, but they all have to do with relationships, all have to do with community, all have to do with respect, all have to do with giving back. Uh, None of those key values have anything to do with, you know, what's our maximum revenue, what's our rate of profitability, what's our return on sales, et cetera. It's, it's all has to do with behavior and how we treat uh, the people that we're serving. So whether we're serving guests here at Mountain Sky or at West Creek or whether we're serving customers in our PGA business or whether we're serving fans in our Atlanta Falcons or Atlanta United in our stadium, which has been voted number one stadium in the country the last two years, little plug. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, Everything we do is all about service to others. So, you know, we know if we do the right things for the right reasons uh, in terms of the, the, the tactical decisions, uh, but if we have this welcoming home, this welcoming feeling where we're more concerned about who we're serving than about ourselves, that comes across with a sense of trust and, and caring. So an example would be, uh, just to demonstrate that, in the, in the National Football League, 32 teams, um, the last two years, the Atlanta Falcons were voted number one in the NFL for fan experience. Uh, Major League Soccer, we're at 24 teams, we're ranked number one in Major League Soccer in terms of fan experience. But and it may have, a lot of it has to do with a lot of different things and the food and beverage and our unique the strategy in, in that regard, but in the setting and the stadium. But beyond that, it has to do with the fact that every single person in any of these venues that we're talking about feels like they're an honored guest, feels like they are, the reason we're there is to serve them. And I would say to you, I mean, our associates are, are compensated well, but having said that, their greatest compensation, in my view, is that you know they're seeing people smile every day. They're making people's dreams come true. They're making people's uh, problems go away. The sense of community, all of these things that we share and talk about. I mean, they they love all that. So our associates feel like you know I may have a tough day at home or a tough day some it may be when they come into work though and they're and they're confusing work with play and they're making uh, the opportunity to serve uh, right there is is very powerful in terms of enriching their own experience. Uh, so, you know, that that's a key driver in e everything that we do. Uh, we also feel strongly in community and giving back. And, and uh, you know, we do that with the service and the businesses themselves, uh, but we do it in a broader sense in terms of our own philanthropy, our family foundations, you know, $400 million since 1995, and that'll probably, you know, double and triple in the next, uh, next 10 years. And then each of our businesses have has an associate-led uh, fund to themselves which is very, very significant in dollars. But the beauty of that is that these are not trained uh, philanthropists. They're just associates. They're not executives necessarily. They're trained, you know, you know, to how to go through evaluations, et cetera. They make the decisions. They're closest to the people they're serving. They understand the communities they're living in. They understand their industries incredibly well. And so they make decisions about, you know, how much we're gonna allocate in certain areas. And they they do, do that work and we support them. We don't guide them. We just, you know, we give them X amount of dollars and they take care of it. Um, the beauty of that is that the associates feel a tremendous sense of pride then, not just in their work, quote unquote, which is having purpose in terms of serving others, but also they're part, they're physically part of going out and doing site visits in a variety of settings and making decisions about, you know, well, you know, we've been blessed here and how do we help others? You know, how do we, um, how do, we do this work and expand it? So um, to have that pride, that gives the associates even more purpose and more sense of that. You know, and I've publicly said from my standpoint, look, whatever's left over, 98% of my state is gonna be uh, going back through philanthropy, family foundation, my kids' foundations, these associate-led foundations. Um, because I, you know, I've, I don't need any more clothing. I don't need any more of anything. Uh, I need more, you know, growth myself, but, um, but I wanna see, you know, I wanna see the world a, a better place than it is currently today and be part of that. And our associates feel that way. Even if the holidays look different this year, it doesn't mean you have to miss out on one of the best parts of the season, the music. This holiday season, my wife and I have gotten in the spirit by playing one of the many holiday music playlists from Amazon Music on repeat in our home. 
We are big fans of the softer classical playlists like the Nutcracker Suite and more that are peaceful, festive, and make our home feel like it's a winter wonderland. I've heard Radhi say, Alexa, play the Nutcracker more times than I can count this last month, and I couldn't think of a cozier soundtrack for our home this season. Listen at home or wherever you are, your holidays will be merrier with fun, festive tunes. Remember, for a limited time, new subscribers can get three months off Amazon Music Unlimited for free. Go to amazon.com forward slash on purpose. That's amazon.com forward slash on purpose to get your first three months of Amazon Music free. It starts at $7.99 a month after that. New subscribers only, terms apply, offer expires 11th of January 2021. So the upside down pyramid, if you will, with um, guests, customers, fans on top and me on the bottom, reinforces the message that um, the people that are most important are the people that we're serving. It's, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a bunch of words. It's, you know, we embody that. We tell stories around that, et cetera. And then we have our frontline associates who are the next ones that are touching and feeling all of our um, all of our guests or our fans, customers. And then, you know, it's my job and other associates at the leadership level to provide the environment to make sure they have the resources, to make sure they have the strategy, to make sure that we, we create goals for them that are reasonable, et cetera, and give them support. So, um, and your, your question, which is probably the best question uh, that as a business person you ask, is that you know often an entrepreneur has a vision um, and it's successful, but once they try to expand it, it becomes not successful. So, you know, at Home Depot, we um, we struggle with that as well. And we had four stores. I remember meeting with the uh, a gentleman from uh, Goldman Sachs, who was the most highly regarded uh, banker on Wall Street in the retail space, and uh, um, and he. Um, he sat down at lunch. He said, "Well, you have these four stores, you know, in Atlanta, very successful, and you have a unique culture. But you know, he didn't ask me a question. I was only thirty-seven, so I was like, Woo, meeting with this guy was a really big deal.' So I, you know, he said, as you expand, you're not going to be able to maintain this culture. You're just not going to be able to do it.' He said, you're, you guys are so physically involved in the level of training, the level of commitment, the level of their social understanding, your viewpoints, and all this." Um, so I, it was troubling coming from here, him, because we had aspirations to become a national company, which obviously with 2,200 stores now and stores in Mexico, Canada, and U.S., it's, you know, um, it, it's, you know, amazing story. But the key to that was not what's on a piece of paper, not the six core values that we live. It was not really the inverted triangle, but the ability to make sure that what we would term it in case of Home Depot was an orange apron, so it was orange, a lot of orange in our business, that our associates, you know, bled orange, uh, if you will. And what that means is that they understood the values. We didn't make them write them down. We didn't make them, they weren't, they don't know what to say them exactly in this order, but did they live them? Uh, could they articulate them in whatever words they wanted to, but most importantly, could they live them? So that ability to understand uh, and live our values and become a role model and lead by example is one of our core values, lead by example. So you saw last night that I served pie. So, I mean, I'm, you know, this is maybe off the subject a little bit, but I mean, the example is it's important. Uh, it's not just important. I do it at Mountain Sky as well. Our, our guest ranch opens to the public because, you know, I want the guests to really see me in a position of service to others. Um, I want our associates to see that. It's not just a bunch of words. It's actually leading by example. There's nothing that I wouldn't do to help. Uh, last year at Mountain Sky, I was sitting in the in the bar area and having a drink, and I heard somebody say, "Well, you know, our, our bathroom is not working, and you know, it's over there." I said, "Yeah." So I went and I fixed it myself, and there was another <laughs> one that wasn't working. And I fixed it myself. So, you know, I came back. I I just, you know, that's kind of my nature. You know, it's not working. Go fix it. I don't. It's not a matter of title of who I am. I didn't ask anybody else to do it. I did it myself. So, the associates the next day, I had a couple say to me. We heard that you actually were fixing toilets yesterday. I said, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, it's part of <laughs> what we amazing. do is that we, we have to lead by example. And those storytelling, those examples, uh, and picking the right people behind that, that understand those things and live those things um, are, are the way you expand a, a, an organization uh, over a broader scale. If you have really bright people 
they don't get what you're doing, they don't get your purpose and your vision, then it's not going to work. doesn't mean they're not bright, doesn't mean they're not good, doesn't mean they don't, they don't have a different purpose in life, but they're not going to be able to support your organization. So, um, you know, much of what you're doing and expanding it so incredibly in the last three years, um, you know, you have to have the right people around you, people who understand Jay Shetty, people who understand your value set. I mean, they can have their own, but it has to be, in a certain sense, has to have sense of service and sense of purpose uh, deeply ingrained as well. When I meet someone, I'm most endeared by their humility and by their character more than how much money they've made or right. how successful they are. And I think that's all of us. We, right. we remember people based on how they make us feel right. as exactly. opposed to what yeah. they have or what they right. say. Right. And I think the fact that you've been able to do that in an organization. Tell me about a time, Arthur, where actually you may have made a mistake or a failure in, an, in the organization, and I'm sure there were many, but any that stand out to you where you really learned an important lesson yeah. that stayed with you, that made you change yeah. something? I hope there weren't too many, but, <laughs> but there were some. Uh, I'll give you an example, and this was one at, at Home Depot as an example. We, the only ac acquisition we made when, um, when I was there and Bernie was there was a group of uh, nine um, stores that were in our industry uh, they had stores in Dallas and elsewhere in Louisiana and uh, Mobile and Baton Rouge, et cetera. And uh, so we acquired the stores. And then what our decision was that we didn't want to lose the volume that they had. It was a fraction of the volume that we had, but we didn't want to lose the volume. We were very paranoid about losing volume, focused always on revenue. And um, so we decided to keep them open and change the stores. So it really was kind of like changing tires on a car that's going, you know, even 30 miles an hour. It gets very ugly, very difficult to do, et cetera, et cetera. So when we reopened the stores, we realized we had, <clears throat> physically we had changed the stores. They look like traditional Home Depot stores, great stores. But the the associates didn't really get us because we hadn't really put them through the kind of training and exposure and understanding uh, that was critical to all of our associates. So there's a separation there from you know our value set, which drives everything, to the people that were serving the customers who, you know, were well-intended, but they didn't understand our priorities. They understood the traditional priorities, which was not as rigorous about customer service as ours was. So uh, we ended up closing those stores uh, for a short while and, you know, putting everything on pause, taking all the associates, training them, doing everything we had to do, et cetera, et cetera. When they reopened, they reopened as as our Home Depot store. So I, wow. I think that was an example of where uh, we got a little ahead of ourselves. Mm and probably, um, you know, forgot to check certain boxes that we needed to check. Uh, another example, and uh, both in our PGA business today is a good example, we're, we're expanding at about a million square feet in golf retail in the next, uh, next five years, which is, there's nobody in golf retail expanding anywhere, and people you talk to say, <laughs> but we're, 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 it's been extraordinarily successful. But the point is that, those stores require a high level of service and people understanding the industry, club fitting, ball fitting, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and, and relationships to customers, et cetera. So uh, to our guests in the store. So, you know, we take a lot of time now in moving a, a large group of people to the new store to make sure that we don't make that mistake again. So those number of people can train the additional 40, 50, 60 people that we're hiring and making sure that they get our culture. Uh, so, you know, culture really drives everything that we do. I mean, everything we do, those value sets, they drive every, everything that we do. And, uh, you know, the body can only absorb change at a certain rate um, and um, pace at a certain rate. So I think it's, it's important to be able to uh, acknowledge that and make sure that, you know, whatever your culture is, it doesn't get diluted as you expand. More often than not, it does happen. Um, I've had some experiences and, you know, one other example of that, when we went uh, at, Home, at Home Depot, uh, when we started to expand into the Midwest, um, we went to Detroit with a group of stores and um, we realized then we were opening up stores at we had a store and a half, a store every day and a half, and that uh, we couldn't really sustain that rate of, of growth. So we we went to the board, Bernie and I, and we said, look, we've decided we're going to maintain the growth rate of no more than 25% a year. It had nothing to do with financial modeling and everything. It had to do with how many associates could we uh, impact, you know, hire, impact, train, make sure they understood our orientation, became Home Depot fanatics, blood orange, you know, all those things we asked them to do. Uh, we said that's the most that we can possibly do. So we 
we kept our growth down to a point that we can um, that we can still produce the kind of success um, and deliver the kind of experiences in all of our businesses. Same thing happens out here at the ranch is that we've made some adjustments over the years. We do it very slowly, very modestly, um, because we don't want the experience to change and we want to make sure that everybody's ready for the change. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's amazing advice for all of us, anyone who's listening or watching right now and is growing a small team into a larger one, an entrepreneur that's expanding their business. Culture is that thing that's right. going to make sure that you right. succeed in the long run. Yeah. And it's so easy to hire fast and hire quickly. Right. And I know Alex and I, and, and with the businesses that I work with right now, we're actually some of the slowest hiring people in the yeah. world. Well, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's terribly important. I yeah. mean, I, I uh, had a CEO of a major competitor of ours um, meet with me once. I was actually playing golf over at Augusta as a guest and he was there. And he said to me, well, you know, if you're here around lunchtime, I'm out on the putting green and, you know, come over, say hi. And I, I knew him. So I did. So, and he had left, he had left the company at that point. And he said, you know, we sent, we probably visited 200 of your stores a year. And that, that, at that point in time, we had stores in Chile as well. He said, and we could copy everything. We copied the size, the pricing, the assortment, the signing, I mean, everything. He said, he said, we'd go around and ask people, you know, this culture thing, value thing. And no matter where we went, no matter who we spoke to, they all said the same thing in their own words, but they all were doing the same thing. And we were not able to do that in our company. And, um, but that's because, you know, we recognized the importance in that. It was not a new message every single day. It was the same messages over and over and over and over again to the point people said, oh boy, here we go again. We're gonna <laughs> listen to customer service. And every example that we could find of great customer service, we celebrated that. Um, I mean, we had issues with, you know, that we had to struggle with as well as a company, but we celebrated uh, the successes and particularly the weren't successes in how many stores you opened up. The fact that our earnings per share grew at 49% a year for 23 years, our stock grew that quickly. We didn't talk about the stock market and how wealthy we we're making people, though we had a lot of pride in that because then we gave other people the financial capacity to make a difference in their own lives and have a financial purpose in their lives and taking care of their family, extended family, community, giving back. But uh, so it was, it's a, you know, it was a, it's a beautiful model because it's, um, it's one where, associates and who you're serving um, all appreciate uh, the investment you've made in doing the right things for the right reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said earlier, the Arthur and Blank Family Foundation has given $400 million over, since 1995 right. to so many incredible ventures. And many of them have been in the space of childhood development education and the arts and parks and green space. And I wanted to know why you specifically selected each of those three. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're so beautiful in their own right, but I'd love to know from your own perspective as to why yeah. you believe those three areas are so important. Well, I think, you know, anything, and it doesn't have to be in Montana, obviously, because most people don't live here, but, you know, anything connected to green space, to parks, to nature, to getting outside, to finding that solitude, that quietness, that place where you can uh, reflect and a place where you actually you can, uh, you know, go with family and friends and experience things that, that aren't driven by, you know, on my phone every, every three and a half minutes um, or less. Uh, so I think that, you know, that's an area that we've always felt very, very strongly about. Uh, obviously we're involved in conservation, here in Montana as well, and elsewhere in the West. Uh, so it wasn't, it's not just these two ranches, which are, we think are models in terms of ranches should operate, not just from a guest standpoint, but from, you know, in terms of the, the, uh, the actual ag process that we have going on. Um, so we've always felt strongly about that, being outside, uh, being connected to nature, being connected to people that you're outside with. Uh, it opens up a different perspective uh, on viewing the world and viewing each other. Um, and having that sense of community. That sense of community is so important. I was raised in an apartment house and, um, and as well the rest of my family. But, you know, what's interesting is that in those apartment houses, when it was during the summer when it was warm, or even in the fall and spring, it was in New York City, um, people would bring their little chairs downstairs and everybody would sit like outside the apartment because they had that, you know, that need, desire uh, for connection to others. 
And um, and I think that's true whether you're living in an apartment or whether you're living in a home or whether you're living. So we at our ranches, we don't promote the use of technology. Sorry, Jay. <laughs> Apologize for that. But, but I but I mean, you know, there are places where people can use technology because of conferences and other work, but but we don't actively promote it. We want people to get outside. We want people to experience nature. We want people to touch and feel things and that silence and that solitude and that, you know, finding a quietness with themselves, that intercom, which they can do so beautifully in nature. Uh, public education has always been a big issue for me. I went through um, uh, public school my whole life. Um, didn't I went to a I didn't go to a private school. I went to college. I went to small business school, Babson College, out of Boston. And um, so I feel like you know, you know, the more that we can do in terms of public education at a higher level um, creates you know really unlocks uh, minds of all of our young people. Uh, that exposure. Thomas Friedman was right many years ago. He wrote his book, The World Is Flat. Um, and I think we're realizing that more and more and more over time. The book's 25 years old, but reality is that we're seeing that every day. It's coming less curved and more flat and everybody's connected. Um, and I think, you know, that's a wonderful thing. Um, so I think, you know, public education, uh, because not everybody or very few people uh, can afford, you know, private schools and, you know, a, kind of an answer that's, that's just works for a handful of people relatively. Um, so that's always been very important to my family and, um, and my children as well. Uh, and they're very actively involved in that, ar- that arena. Um, so those are some of the things. Uh, we do a lot of work um, in areas of culture because we think culture is another way. There's a lot of times there's too much of an emphasis, in my opinion, on, on book learning and what have you. And some people learn differently. They learn by expressing themselves through yoga, through arts, through athletics, through whatever it may be, music, drama. Um, and so I think you have to let people kind of find themselves in that in those ways as well. Sadly, in the public education area, a lot of those uh, opportunities for expression have been cut back and eliminated. Uh, so we'd like to see more of that expanded over time because I think it's very healthy for everybody. Yeah, I love that how you've chosen three things that encourage so much internal growth. Right. Like I feel like mm-hmm. your investment in parks and green spaces right. is about people finding internal calm. Right. And even this right. week, We've had all these incredible outdoor activities right. that you've arranged and the team's arranged here for everyone to partake in. And we've seen how people are bonding closer when they're right. out and about in green spaces and right. outdoors and right. going on these beautiful walks and right. riding or whatever else it may yeah. be. Right. And and especially what you're speaking about, the education system, of course. And then I, I think you're spot on when you talk about how arts and the arts allow us to express ourselves right. more effectively and how that's never always encouraged. Right. And so your investment in that space, I'm sure has made well, a Well, I think, difference. you know, as you know, and many of our guests know that, you know, that education, <clears throat> you know, the, the book education is very important. <clears throat> the life education is in many cases even more important than exposure and what have you. It's one of the reasons we, our foundation has just just started to invest on uh, an international basis. We're doing work in Africa, doing work in the Caribbean, et cetera. But one of the reasons is is not because... You know, I mean, we don't have enough opportunities within the United States. Um, we do, and must needs we do. But I wanted to send an important message, you know, to our family and to our associates is that you know, not just talking about, you know, humankind being uh, being connected, but actually demonstrate that. So, in the, you know, the case of Nigeria, where sixty percent of the population lives on less than a dollar a day. You know, we want people to be aware of that. And, you know, how, how do we participate and support uh, answers in those areas of the world? So um, I think that the notion that we are brothers keepers, uh, which is an integral part of our faith and the faith of, you know, part of everybody's faiths, I believe, uh, is very important. And it's not just, it starts maybe with your family, your extended family, your community, but it really has to include everybody on the face of the earth. That's mm-hmm. why the earth is important. Uh, you know, the earth is important because we all live here. Um, so we got to take care of it a little better than we have been. Absolutely. That that resonates so strongly with me because one of the reasons why I became a monk and one of our teachings was that you became a monk and you were free from your basic family responsibilities so that you could see the whole world as your family. Right, right. And so that you could go and extend yourself right. even further. Right, yeah. And I think it's beautiful to see you do that. I mean, you have six children and six, six, grandchildren. six grandchildren. Six and six, right? Yeah, six yeah. and six. Yeah. What is your... <laughs> What is the and legacy? Several dogs, a couple yeah. of dogs as well. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, and horses, and horses, and horses. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what are the what is the legacy that you're hoping that they're going to carry forward to the future generations as 
the foundation grows. Well, I, and the I don't, grows. you know, I think it's important for them to, to find themselves. Um, you know, they need to climb their own mountains. They need to explore themselves. They need to, you know, um, fall down and pick themselves up. They to, need to learn, deal with adversity and growth, uh, both uh, physically and personally. Uh, so our older children um, are all involved in our family foundation. Um, and we're actively involved in a variety of areas that we've talked about. Many we haven't, but they're involved in all of them. Uh, in addition to that, they're all, each one is starting their own foundation now, much smaller, but I want to see, make sure they know how to evaluate, make sure they know how to do their work, et cetera, because uh, the, the, when you're giving, you're giving, you're always getting more. I mean, it makes no difference whether it's physical work or financial, whatever it may be, the more we give, the more we get back. It's just kind of the way the math of the world works, the universe and our and our soul uh, works. So uh, the younger children have age-appropriate um, uh, age, age appropriate exposure to philanthropy, one's 22, two or 18, so they're, they're younger, but they're getting exposed to it, mostly by doing, uh, not by writing checks, but by doing things and being connected in service in a variety of ways. Um, and they're interested in all of our businesses as well. But, you know, bringing them along very slowly to make sure they understand our values, that nothing is going to be given to them. Whatever they get has to be earned, and earned primarily through understanding these values, living these values, being a great role model, caring about community, caring about others, caring about service, caring about purpose. And, um, you know, my my hope, my desire as a parent uh is that you know the children will grow when I'm long gone, and they will have their own you know their own set of values, the values hopefully they've learned from their mother, their mothers, and their father, and they'll continue to do you know the work that we're doing today and expand it. I mean, I I don't uh, I don't have a written set of of uh, things. These are the seven things we're going to do after <laughs> I'm gone. So I'm not going to manage my foundation for my grave. Um, I have enough faith in my children and. Uh, They'll make the right decisions based on uh, the passions. They know their father has their own passions, which are critical. So they don't, they're really feeling they're doing the work that's important to them and that they uh, are doing work that's important in terms of the times that we're facing. So this well-being, you know, wellness, well-being notion is, a, is at a critical mass, you know, today in our, in our country, uh, if not the world, but certainly in our country. Uh, whether it be the rate of suicides, which uh, continue to climb at dramatic rates, which affect you know the veteran population, a very young population, 10 to 14, and uh, is double what it is on a national basis. So there are, you know, those serious issues we're facing today, they'll have other maybe issues in the, in the future. And so whatever they are, you know, they should feel, you know, the passion, the drive to want to make a difference in those areas and put themselves and resources in place to help others, you know, come to a better conclusion that, that whatever it may be. I've read that your favorite quote on a t-shirt is that there is no finish line. The Wi-Fi here is called right, right, finish li- right. no finish line yeah. too. What does that mean to you? And also what is the personal work you're doing right yeah. now in that regard? What are the internal things yeah. that you're working on at this stage in yeah. your life? Um, well, I think, you know, it came came to me uh, primarily from my, my running initially. Uh, I ran competitively and um, Nike had this t-shirt, so there was no finish line. There was a guy running in the woods and couldn't find another one of them. I saw it someplace. I, Phil Knight was kind enough, Nike <laughs> was kind enough to get me one of the shirts. And you know, I think uh, in virtually all areas of my life, um, I understand that, you know, um, you know, the next day isn't necessarily the end. There's always more to do and et cetera, et cetera. And I think you have to have the ability to deal with uh, adversity, grit, bounce back, you know, and uh, continue putting one step in front of the other. I got that from my long distance running. You probably got that from your monkhood and, and maybe athletics as well and other, other areas of your life. But um, you know, the ability to understand that these problems that we're facing are, are not, you know, you're not in and out in five or 10, 15 minutes. It's not a transaction. It's about relationships. All of our businesses are that way. It's never about the transaction. It's always about the relationship. So these causes, these issues that we have today in our country and worldwide uh, are not going to go away tomorrow. So we have to have the wisdom to understand that. We also have to have the tenacity to say, we're going to make a dent and we're going to make a difference, just as my mother said in the bracelet I'm wearing. 
but we're going to make a difference. And every day we're going to continue to strive to move forward and to make a difference in that area. So I think, um, you know, it's important. I think my oldest daughter would say, dad, that, you know, I, I love the expression. I love the feeling, but you know, um, which brings me back to myself a little bit. She said, but at some point, you know, in your life, you need to, you know, uh, you need to be able to say that I'm kind of out of, you need to be at peace with where you are. And that's where I think uh, my version of wellness uh, and well-being has changed because it used to be running seven days a week. If I didn't do that, you know, that was that was my design around fitness and well-being. In many ways, you know, physical fitness is important. But I think the whole notion of uh, trying to dig deeper and uh, really understand myself and my real purpose and, uh, you know, are we connecting the dots as well as we can, uh, taking time for myself to every day to uh, do meditation. I need to get back on that horse again. Did it for a number of months with, uh, uh, you know, I got encouragement by, by Deepak Chopra, but I need to get back on and do it again because I saw the value of that, you know, for a very long period of time. The work I do in terms of yoga and just the quietness, living in a quiet space and taking time to reflect. And it's one of the reasons I love Montana. We come out here and we walk, we hike, whatever it may be, horseback ride and and, uh, and see this beautiful scenery, but it's quiet time. So the ability to be calm, the ability to reflect, the ability to build it into my life every day, where I'm not kind of a gerbil on the wheel, which is constantly running, <laughs> the ability to get off that, off that, you know, that cycle and, uh, Pause, reflect, you know, understand, build back my strength, my my vision. Um, I think that's been an important part of my own personal growth. That part of it didn't take place until you know, probably just maybe four or five years ago. I think when I when I began to think more about you know, in a broader sense, a deeper sense, purpose and 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 service to others. Amazing. Arthur, you've been incredible. We end every interview with what we call the final five quick fire rapid fire round. So you can only answer the questions with one word or maximum one sentence. And so what I've done is we've created, considering your name is Arthur Blank, we've we've done this final five as fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can ask you, I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank at the end of the sentence. So the first question is, the best advice I've ever received is blank. So what would it be? The best advice I've ever Be true received. to my values. Okay, wonderful. The second question is, the worst advice I've ever received is blank. I would say, you know, focus, uh, the focus on, um, you know, productivity, the focus on financial metrics, you know, as being the goal uh, versus, you know, all the other things in terms of behavior uh, and, uh, and changing people's lives in a positive way. And seeing the joy in that, you know, that's... Great answer. Okay, question number three. Three things I'm grateful for are blank. Well, I have to start my family, you know. Um, and, you know, six six great children, six great grandchildren. And, and uh, great, you know, I've been married multiple times, uh, unfortunately. But I have a great relationship with all of my ex-wives. And they're all wonderful people. And uh, So I'd say my... You know my my family and my relationships. I think uh, my um, ability, as a result of our business success, to try to have uh, an opportunity to expand. You know what service means of others. Create that with our associates and who we're serving in all of our different businesses. Yeah. Do this one blank thing, and it will change your life. What would you put into that blank? Find your passion. Because I think when somebody, can I add on another word or two? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you can. I'm going to, absolutely. Say, please, please, please. You know, because I think when, <laughs> when people find their passion yes. and their purpose, um, you know, financially, they're going to do as well, if not better, than they ever would have done doing yes, anything else. So and, you know, their years uh, here, uh, which are, you know, limited, they're measured, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, are going to be much more enriched because they're going to feel like what I'm doing, what I'm really doing is purpose for me and purpose for others that I'm trying to serve. And uh, 
So I think finding purpose, uh, which is not always easy. I no. mean, sometimes people wander around a bit. You, you did. You described yes. your journey. Definitely. Um, and myself as well. I had my own you know, journeys there. Um, but when you find it, uh, you need to you know stop and honor it, and then to move with it. And mm. and uh, all good things come as a result of that. You know, in terms Absolutely. of the quality of life. Absolutely. And the fifth and final question is the one thing that you're hoping this beautiful four or five days we'd had here in Montana will result in? Well, I think there are two, there are two things, if I expand the question a little bit. One is that, you know, the great connections that you have made with so many other people here uh, and they've made with you and with each other, I think so. I think those physical connections, emotional, it's one thing to know somebody, but when you spend four days together uh, in this setting, you get a deeper, uh, deeper understanding of people's perspectives and their views, and how can we work together? They're two and two equals eight and ten instead of just four or five for myself. So uh, I think that has been very invaluable. The other thing is, is that I think we'll be able to focus for our foundation and, and you know, draw in other foundations and other institutions that care about these things. Um, you know, some really good ideas to help support the expansion of the notion of well-being and wellness and give exposure to that to other populations that don't necessarily have that or see that. Uh, and to, uh, uh, you know, to not, you know, have this, this widen, uh, this gap that we have in America today is just too extreme in my, in my viewpoint. And I think, you know, we need to do more of this and bring people together, not necessarily, you know, economically as equals, because that's not reality in a capitalistic world, but you know, to bring people together in terms of their well-being and their happiness and their ability to feel fulfilled in life, uh, so we want to you know get in the canoe and paddle along with everybody else and paddle as hard as everybody else and know that we can make a difference uh, and uh, try to earn the um, you know the respect um, uh, and the opportunity. It's an honor really having everybody here. From my standpoint, it's an overwhelming honor to have. Um, not just the intelligence in the room, but the the commitment and the uh, sense of purpose and the sense of trying to reach out and make a difference in the world uh, is incredible to me. So anything we can do, supporting the collaborations, supporting the partnerships, uh, new ideas, expanding ideas, scaling up ventures, et cetera, which is much of what I know your, your uh, concern is going forward. How do we impact more people, which is great. Uh, we want to be part of that. So it's been an honor for me, truly an honor for me to be here this week and to uh, just be part of this. It's um, an experience of my lifetime I'll never forget. I've gotten a great deal out of it, much more than, you know, I've gotten much more out of it than we put into it. <laughs> and that's the beauty of, of when you do things with service and purpose, you really do get more out of it than what you give. Yeah, well, I want to thank you on behalf of me and all the other participants because I think you've allowed us to form such deep, amazing relationships there's many people in this room that I would have loved to connect with or meet. And you're so right that when you go away with people for three, four days, you go so much deeper, so much quicker right. Right. than you would if you met at a conference or a one day event or right. whatever it may be. So I just want to say thank you from, from me. Thank you for all your kindness. Thank you for your encouragement. Well, thank you. uh, you've given me so many wonderful votes of confidence this week and just sharing so much support and encouragement for the work I do, which has given me so much conviction. And I'm very well, grateful for well, that. Thank you. Well, the work that you do is is incredible, and it's it really has, you know, tremendous purpose to it, and and uh, and high degree of success. So I I want to do everything we can do um, to help support you and support you know uh, the people you're touching and trying to uh, help with their life journeys. So um, I think you know, this is a great place to do it because when you spend time outdoors, you realize you know you're kind of dwarfed by nature, by things that have been here for thousands and thousands of years. And also everybody puts on their pants the same way. It's a level <laughs> playing field. Nobody's wearing suits, nobody's wearing ties. Everybody's yes. just, you know, being themselves and they're opening themselves up. And in this kind of environment, uh, it's easier to do that. Yes. And so that's the reason we want to do, continue to do this work here. Absolutely. Thank you again, Arthur. Thank, Thank you, you everyone who's been watching or listening back at home or wherever you've been. Make sure you go and follow the Blank Foundation on Instagram and on Twitter and on the social media platforms as well. If you want to find out about the great work, not only we've been doing, but all the other incredible work that the Arthur M. Blank Family Foundation does, uh, please check out this podcast, share it with other people that you feel are going to benefit from this incredible presence around service, incredible presence around giving and doing through our work. 
And for anyone who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur out there, what better values than the ones that have been talked about in this show. Make sure you share those on Instagram so that I can share them as well. I'm always looking through what you're learning so that that helps me ask better questions and serve you better. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Arthur, thank you so much. So grateful to have you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Dust Light Productions. Our executive producer from Dust Light is Misha Youssef. Our senior producer is Juliana Bradley. Our associate producer is Jacqueline Castillo. Valentino Rivera is our engineer. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. And special thanks to Rachel Garcia, the Dust Light Development and Operations Coordinator.